Long days and pleasant nights to you guys. This week's episode is Eric Brown. He's an actor and recently turned stand-up comedian. He's starting to work on that, which we have a bit of a chat about. Um, acting technique and mental health and, he, you know, how anxious and neurotic we both are now. Um, it's fine. Uh, I have some good news for you folks. If you guys are in the New York area in September, I have a residency at the Broadway Comedy Club. Uh, I'll be performing there every Thursday night uh, from 11 at 11 o'clock. I'll probably be going up around 11:30, but you know, show up for the whole show. It looks good for me. Uh, so that's really awesome and exciting for me, uh, I think. And then I'm in. If you're also in the New York area in September and you want to see me do some acting, some like acting, acting, uh, you can see me in Pericles with the Fools and Kings. Um, which is nice. Um, it should be a good time. Um, from my understanding, we have a, an excellent cast and a very interesting director. We haven't started yet, so I'll, I'll let you know how that fucking goes. Now, uh, and then also, if you're here in August, if you're here in August, and specifically for August 30th, uh, I'm, that's my birthday. It's my birthday, and I'm doing a show on my birthday over at the Pit Loft, if you're familiar at all, it's over on, like, 23rd Street or whatever. And it's, uh, let's talk about dying. You can get tickets at pitloft.com or wherever it is. And, um, there's a, you know, uh, or you can just show up at 11 on the 30th, um, at the Pit Loft and pay $7 to watch me and a few other excellent comics talk about mental health. Um, the lineup's really solid, um, with the exception, of, of course, of me. No, um, it's it's my friend, baby, baby, Katie Barbaro, who verbal dyslexia is kind of a hard thing to deal with. Katie Barbaro, Miles Newberth, Mike Candleman, and myself, and it should be a really good time. Um, yeah, check those things out. Go to our Patreon. Um, Wayward Wordsmiths has a Patreon. Um, check it out. We just did a video for it. It's pretty fun and funny. Um, if you have extra cash just lying around, give us some, please, please. Even a dollar a month helps a little bit. I mean, it couldn't hurt. It couldn't hurt. If for a dollar a month, you get a dank meme every month. And for five dollars, you get access to our bonus episodes. And for ten, you can place an ad on one of our programs. That's what Cameron Clark did. Uh, and his company, Company of Fools, which is, you can look up on the internet and follow them there at companyoffools.com and they're working already for their spring season um so check that out and look up cameron clark and then for 15 dollars uh you can get a copy of my book it had to be said which is available on amazon and createspace.com um and i'll sign it to you and ship it to you if you give us 15 dollars a month i think that's worth that but enough of me blithering and blathering and gibbering and jabbering. Let's get to that good, good interview. How do you think that went? It's fine. To be and not to be, that is the question. 
I think therefore I am a legend It's 24-7, 365 Parents advise discretion With thoughts like mine Empires fall, you should know that these walls Only up for protection World on guard, got them all on the edge Balls at eight feet, barely balance the tension Raising the heat, I could leave any second Fall to the street and be home by 11 Do an interview with KP On the session and laugh when he asks If it's passion or an obsession Yes, the point I'm at, there's no difference Because I know it's a lot of control Control, right it's like just having absolute control over all of your body yeah and uh at this point in my career my, my, my at this point in my development mm-hmm. i kind of like do a shit ton of character work and then just like whatever happens on stage happens if yeah. he ends up like walking <laughs> weird because i think he has like a, a tense spot in his back then whatever yeah for sure um, I haven't done any Alexander technique. I've just heard a lot about it, and I did mm. mime, which is kind of you know, since it's very heavily movement based, you learn to like isolate it, and it's kind of a similar idea. And I think they incorporate it a little bit, but like then to say, hey, and now we're we're using Alexander technique. Um, but you're Eric Brown. We've been recording a little bit, um, All right. and uh, you're from Texas. Yes, I am. Okay. Yeah, Austin, Texas, specifically the good Texas, ostentatious Austin, Texas. Um, What was that like growing? Because like the motto now is like, let's make it really weird. Has it always been so, or is this a new development? That's a fucking awful branding. (laughs) Because I grew up with "Keep Austin Weird." Yeah, that's that. That was the slogan of "Keep Austin Weird," and it was its own special kind of weird. And it it was only recently when I visited family a couple of years ago as an adult and actually drove around the city by myself and not just, like, went wherever my dad went that I went, oh, fuck, Austin's, like, just a really spread out Williamsburg now. (laughs) Shit. Because it used to be, like, a whole bunch of uh, old, weird, crusty, like, former deadheads or, Mm -hmm. like, desert people are weird when it's so hot and yeah. so bright and like the sky just goes on endlessly and you can hear the sound of the sun trying to destroy you <laughs> it creates for a very unique kind of thinking that mm-hmm. made austin very weird and austin sits uh kind of in nestled between two rivers and a whole bunch of like natural springs and stuff so it's mm-hmm. a kind of cooler area but literally and figuratively mm-hmm. um but yeah, no, growing up in Austin was was a trip because my dad was an angry old biker who hated socializing. So like all of the Austin I knew was like the old used bookstores and mm-hmm. the the music repair shops where you could like trade plumbing work for the sweet old amp that the this Willie Nelson looking motherfucker is working on is just a really wonderful place. And now it's literally just Williamsburg but with like Portland kind of stitched mm-hmm. on like some awful Soviet abomination <laughs> <laughs> now that being said that sounds fun for me like as a young white person yeah no it's still a great city yeah but that that is interesting um and Brooklyn I it's the same thing that's happening here as well because Williamsburg a while ago was very much that way and same with like even where we're at now Bedsty, the place I was used to live um live over on Hancock and Malcolm X was like Hey, there was a junk shop that you knew the guy, and yeah. it's like you go, "That's five dollars." I'm like, "I'm gonna give you three, okay, four, and you move on with your life." That kind of thing. Yeah. And then you go, "Do you have change for a five? But anyway, um, and then, <laughs> but <laughs> now, and then there's like a uh, like there was a pizza shop and like all this like local stuff, and now there's like literally across the street where that junk shop was, there's like a dog washing place. 
And I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? Do they get on the tracks and like slowly get pushed through? (laughs) I don't know. I didn't go in. I was too afraid of gentrification. (laughs) Um, Aren't we all? um, It's the other thing. The other thing is like, um, as a as a poor person, I am against gentrification because like it's really cool it's great that the art's there and like a cool supporting local business but i do not want my rent to go up no no it's i'm so scared like it's slowly creeping every time it starts happening i'm like fucking white people and i know i'm part of the problem but i'm also don't want to be because i would rather just like every once in a while you hear gunshots but my rent's only eight hundred dollars well the great thing about the gunshots that and Mm -hmm. why i never got scared by because I used to live near Broadway Junction and heard a lot. Oh, like, shit, yeah. I, I was on the top floor, so I could kind of really, like, hear the sound of the neighborhood um, mm-hmm. if it was particularly loud, and I'd hear bangs, and I'd be sitting on the roof, and I'd go, okay, that might be fireworks. <laughs> oh, no, that's, like, super arrhythmic. Uh, that's gunshots. Those yeah. are gunshots. Oh, lots of gunshots. Oh, and sudden silence. Cool, cool. <laughs> Gotta keep reading my book, but like the violence in those neighborhoods mm-hmm. are inherently like, I'm really fucking mad at Steve. Yeah. So like walking around, I never felt like I was gonna get shot or anything. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's like it's like I as long as you, it's the adage from the Hobbit: you keep your nose out of trouble, no trouble come to you. Yeah, yeah. It's that sort of like you just don't piss off anyone. Um, but when did you move out here, and why? Um, I moved out here. Uh, after a year of studying at West Virginia University, after three years of studying at a fucking community college. Mm-hmm. Um, when, and, oh, where were you in West Virginia? Sorry. Uh, Morgantown, West Virginia. It's okay. on the, the high plateau field that is supposed to be like fertile farmland and not quite uh, death meth mountain, um, which is what <laughs> you expect. It is rough, though. Like, there's a severe opioid problem in West Virginia because of all the miners not having jobs. Yeah. It's right? really a sad state. And, it's really and people, an issue. Pol- political people don't seem to be making the connection of, like, there's a sudden drug problem. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that we just com- completely bled the area dry and gave them no alternatives when mm-hmm. it was over. Cool. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, you went there, and then you went there for a year, and then you moved out here. Yes. Uh, I, I moved out here uh, five years ago, um, both for a girl and also because I had uh, an acting teacher mm-hmm. that actually tried to teach us, like, the proper business kind of attitudes Mm of acting of, you know, like this, like don't go to LA because LA is a party that you should not go to until you are invited because otherwise you will be one of the millions of people that look like you that are Mm -hmm. basically exactly the same thing that happens in New York. But New York has a theater scene that like is more respected than the theater scene in LA and then Mm -hmm. the credits that you get here weirdly transfer better than if you just have like a bunch of commercial credits Mm -hmm. it's and it's supposed to be easier to break into supposedly yeah um so i i came here with like that kind of attitude of i'm gonna pursue theater i'm gonna work my way up get my equity because i do Mm -hmm. love theater and then like maybe transfer because i also want to do voice acting and that like if you don't want to just narrate museum guides (laughs) you go to Mm -hmm. la yeah absolutely Okay, that makes sense. Um, uh, yeah, it is a little odd. It, the, the 
invitation is actually a really good way of looking at it because otherwise you do end up in the hall just listening to the party happening and you're like this is cool I'm here but like no one's talking to me I'm on yeah. my phone I'm trying to connect with someone so every party I've ever been yeah to. pretty much parties are terrible yes. like it's not just because I have social anxiety I'm like I can kick in I'm like uh, it doesn't matter who I talk to it's just like I realized when I was about 21 and I was going to, like, I, I was drinking way too much, and I was just, like, going to parties, and I was like, no one's going to remember the conversations we're having. Yeah. This is pointless. Let's stop doing it. Okay, other me in my head. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, but, and, and when did you move? How long have you um, been here? I, I have been here for five years. Oh, wow. And then... I, I took a pretty long break from acting because of the nature of the city of you need to pay rent. And mm -hmm. much like the gentrification process that we mentioned, it we kept moving to progressively more pricey places. So I had mm -hmm. to like focus more and more on, on making, making that money and could never really like justify auditioning. Yeah. And uh, now I've like reset to the lowest level of like the cheapest rent I've ever had. Mm -hmm. um a pretty open schedule and and now i i kind of like fresh start will focus and like once once i get back from the break after work is closed for five days um mm -hmm. i'm gonna start focusing on going to epa auditions cool because uh, a friend of mine uh is in equity and or just got his equity card and gave really good advice that like especially if you're willing to live poorly mm -hmm. um there are a lot of EPA auditions that pay like 300 a week, 400 a week. Yeah. And those are the ones that like true equity actors are like, that is not nearly enough for me to live in the city. That's <laughs> more than enough for me. Yeah. So it's really easy to show up to those and get on the wait list and actually be seen and uh, have a stronger chance of getting cast and then mm -hmm. building those equity credits. So like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm trying to slowly sneak past the wall that is union yep through the sewers <laughs> where no one wants to go. Andy Dufresne was my friend. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 preparing currently mm -hmm. for my three three football lengths of shit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and here we have a production of Hamlet in which he plays guard number 3, but that got him enough credit to move on to the next thing. Oh, man. If Morgan Freeman could narr narrate my life, it would sound so much better than what it actually is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's very true. Of every I think that's also true of, like, Morgan Freeman's life as well. It's yeah. Like, man, I do some pretty boring shit, but I do it, and I'm me, and it's cool. Yeah, and I feel like it. that's part of why, like, because he didn't become successful until he was, like, in his 40s. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, And I feel like he was born to be that... that kind of the, the roles that he currently gets cast as. Oh, absolutely. And had to, like, earn the voice that he mm -hmm. has. Like, he might have been, like, a young man with the exact same voice, <laughs> and he goes into the audition and starts talking, and they're like, well, we don't know what the fuck to do about this. <laughs> you're a 20-year-old that sounds like you're 73. What's going yeah. on? A 73-year-old that has seen everything and mm -hmm. knows everything. Mm -hmm. I should just play God. Yeah. Not play God. I should play God. You know what I'm saying? Not a Jeff Goldblum sort of thing. <laughs> oh, 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 like hustling God. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, they, they, that's what happens when you play God. Now, um, that's the impressions corner of the podcast. Um, but I was always very um, apprehensive about joining the union because, you know, you stop being able to do non-union work. Yeah. And I know for a fact that I can't pay myself union wages if I want to put up my own show. How do you feel, like, where do you lie on that sort of thing? Um, 
Well, considering I I spend so much time at, since moving to the city, not doing unpaid work, mm. I the it's it I don't have that that frame of mind of uh, I'm not sure if I want to cut myself off from all the shit I have never actually done. <laughs> like there's no, nothing to miss. There's no. Okay. It's, it's like suddenly realizing you have a tail and being like, well, I I never really needed that in the first place. So I'll just cut that off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right on, right on. Okay. Um, and when did you start doing theater? Um, literally, the first time was when I was four in yeah. the Nativity Story. I insisted on being the donkey. I to this day don't know why. Um, <laughs> and like through elementary school, always played pretend, but never connected it to like yeah. the little musicals that they would put up where all the kids mm-hmm. stand in a line and sing very terribly and the parents all applaud <laughs> for the effort I guess um, instead I would the bravery of being in front of other people yeah exactly yeah. Um, and I would just go out and play pretend and, and be like Batman or Power Rangers or mm-hmm. um, uh, me and my best friend at the time developed a weird long running story of uh I was like this shark boy before there was shark boy and lava girl. (laughs) I was the original shark boy in my head (laughs) in the middle of nowhere. Um, Mm -hmm. But like we had developed these elaborate dramas um, and it was only in high school that I really put it together and went, Mm -hmm. what, what if I learn lines Mm -hmm. and go up and do this and people watch? Okay. Uh, And then immediately fell in love with it. And, at the same time was cast in the fires of rejection because uh, it was mm. a very, very much a school with like a golden child. And like these kids are always cast and they are always the leads. Mm-hmm. And the drama club was very clicky and I was very bad at networking and making friends. So like by the time I got to college and started getting serious roles and working uh, with this uh, regional uh, Shakespeare company, um, I had already like, been forged in a, a kiln or I'd been fired in a kiln of failure or rejection does not equate lack of quality or potential. Mm-hmm. It There are a lot of mitigating factors. So I, I mm-hmm. luckily have managed to train my brain to avoid being terrified of that. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I've always found like actors are terrible. Like, (laughs) like they're very difficult and mercurial people to hang out with and they'll love you for a week and then drop you or like you do one thing and then they're done with you forever. Or they'll like, I find the most common thing specifically in this city is they're like, Oh, I love being around you. But unless you are in front of me, I do not remember that. It's like everyone has really bad object permanence. Oh, my God, yes. The minute you're, like, out of their sight, it's like, I like the concept of you. Like, I have several people going, oh, man, yeah, I'd love to come on the podcast. And then I'm like, okay, when are you free this week? Silence. And, like, three weeks later, oh, dude, I just saw your text. Um, Let Mm -hmm. me get back to you. Yeah, just, it's the worst. And I specifically, actors are just very clicky. And, like, it's just, man. It's so weird. It's almost like people that are constantly obsessively trying to get attention for attention's sake mm-hmm. at their core are narcissistic flighty people. Yeah, it's you almost wouldn't expect like that. <laughs> <laughs> and like I think it's also uh indicative of like if you have like I'm I can be accused of being flighty and, and forgetful, but like I have an excuse. Yeah. I'm mentally ill. Yeah. But um <laughs> 
But it is also like that thing of like I think if you're doing doing the work for the right reasons, you don't you aren't like that. You like are you remember people's names and yes. you you do that. Whereas if it's all like I feel like a lot of actors are like, no, this is just like life's uh, a bit of life's a party and you're a boy. Oh like God. just like yeah, no, and it's especially worse uh, in the service industry. Oh, for sure. Because then you like when you run into somebody that that is. And I have, like, several stages of disappointment that goes on through this. Because I, I – my my in the four years of training that I had, at, even though it was a community college training, the mm-hmm. people there, um, the one uh, used to have her equity card and used to, like, do stuff off-Broadway when she was much younger and, mm-hmm. and – uh, even older, I could, I could tell that she was a very pretty redhead with like tight curl, like mm-hmm. uh, curly hair, like just the perfect what you imagine an, a beautiful Irish maiden to look like. Yeah. Um, and uh, she was always very like, uh, don't go into acting because um, you will die from the stress and rejection. And I'm like, yay, I'm 18. This is good to know. Um, but the other one was was uh, much more focused on preparing you for mm-hmm. it, and I had a year where I finally had that like kind of breakthrough of no longer constantly not getting cast Mm -hmm. and just did a straight year of being in every single show. And like I I did, I hate Hamlet and I was the ghost of John Barrymore and I did art and I was Mark and I did a children's show called Wiley and the Harry man. And I was the Harry man. Mm -hmm. Um, And that same year, uh, this, this guy that I, I, latched onto very very intensely uh because he was older than me and so handsome um <laughs> no uh he, he did have like a handsome lumberjack quality because he could grow a beard in a day but uh he uh was like really into philosophy and, yeah. and so like me and him worked in the scene shop building all of these sets oh, that's dope and he was also like he was the the main character in I I hate Hamlet he was uh-huh. one of the main characters in art he was also in Wiley and the Harry Man so this whole year was just 60 70 hour weeks of always being surrounded by this uh, this other dude who's like very much into discussing like the metaphysical kind of weird shit that goes beyond just Stanislavski technique mm-hmm. or method acting and like more the nature of like the relationship between the the actor and the audience and sharing the same breath and the same air and mm-hmm. all of this fucking heady shit and we were building sets together and my acting teacher at the time was also the technical designer of the show so he was also my boss Mm -hmm. so we would spend uh the whole work day talking to him about all this stuff and also like bringing in mix cds and discussing music and and just this one year was more illuminating and uh, what i wanted to like list off a big a whole bunch of big words to show how smart i am but i'm just going to keep it as illuminating Mm -hmm. um and then I go off to, to West Virginia and it's just a typical, like we do Meisner classes, we do yeah. viewpoints, we do, we, I, I keep getting neuro, like in, uh, insecure about everything the voice teacher tells me about my mm-hmm. voice because she does not give me any help of changing it. It's yeah. just like, your voice is super tight and sounds very like anxious and, and like your whole neck is just yeah. a tense ball of knots and I'm like that how do I fix that? Mm. Mm. Uh, I've just went on a long time. Oh, but the, the, so like when I moved to the city and you meet a lot of uh, people in performance in, in service, Mm -hmm. 
and there's a first layer of like, oh, you're in theater. What mm-hmm. what are you in? Oh, I'm going to be a star on Broadway. I mm-hmm. love this musical. I love that musical. And nothing against people who are musical theater people. Uh, but, but it is very difficult because we work underneath Ellen Stardust Diner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's just like 15 of them all clumped in the same area. That is, and that they're is, still singing while they're t- counting their massive pile of money. money. Mm-hmm. That just looks like something out of a heist film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and then there's a second level of like mm. you meet another actor actor that isn't you know just wants to be real on stage and like dive into a character but like they don't really think or care to talk about it yeah they just do it and yeah. then there is the third layer of how acting and performance plays into the larger narrative of our purpose on earth mm-hmm. and and being storytellers inherently as like a mm-hmm. whole race and that last layer is what I'm always like trying to find and yeah. never get to. <laughs> that's fair. Um, I mean, it's kind of like that sounds like a really amazing and wonderful, and I mean wonderful year. Um, I and you prefaced it with it's a community college. The best, the most I learned was from the community college teacher. Like, if you get a person that is really dedicated to the craft at a community college, they, they try so damn hard and yes. they, they are doing it because they love to do it. So it's, you know, take some community college courses. And it is, um, I was actually talking to my mother about this. I'm kind of the same way of like, we inherently lie to express emotions and we, we don't call it a lie. We call it a story or a metaphor, <laughs> but it's the way we work. And I was talking with her because like, Language is inherently metaphorical because if I go, oh, I've given you $5, unless I have $5 in my hands and I'm are handing it to you, that's a metaphor. Yeah. And so you have to like, I, I think there's something inherent about people, um, any sort of creatures that develops a language that immediately goes to storytelling and performance because it's just like LinkedIn real easy. And I think that has a lot to do with it. And it is this weird, you're right to use the word metaphysical thing of like, why are we doing this? But we're all drawn to it. Every yeah. culture has storytelling. It's a universal thing. Well, an earthly thing at the very least. I don't know if aliens yeah. tell Well, I stories. mean, like, that was how we taught ourselves before, like, we developed a written language. That was how mm-hmm. we, we managed to teach the future generation to survive was telling them stories of mm-hmm. like don't drink the water at this river because this happened don't mm-hmm. go into this valley because the the scary death monsters are there and mm-hmm. obviously to really make them believe you so that you don't lose anybody in your tribe it's mm-hmm. going to be a passionate kind of recreation of of your learned mm-hmm. um experience um but also with the metaphysical stuff uh i like studied a couple of different techniques but like I love talking about how you find the character and it always ends up becoming this weird abstract kind of difficult to define because, and it's interesting that the way you mentioned language is that I view language as a very dead, confusing tool Mm. because essentially what I'm doing when I'm talking is I have a collection of images and feelings that are kind of abstractly floating around in my meat space and I want to unlatch my my brain box and just toss it into yours Mm -hmm. and the way i do that is through communication yeah but and like there are a lot of people especially people that love romance languages that view language as very alive and very thrilling and it is constantly Mm -hmm. changing and evolving 
and I'm I feel like this weird outsider and that I look at it and I'm like it, it's an outdated tool of trying to just get the purity of what is in my head into your head without miscommunication without misunderstanding just the pure thought mm-hmm. just yeah and that's interesting uh for a couple i have a couple of thoughts that i'd like to express on that point um number one you should read this um sci-fi novel called old man's war in which they're like a bunch of futuristic soldiers and they have what are known as brain pals and so you can ping um to someone who also has a brain pal messages but they don't have to be words they can just be like i'm feeling this and you just all of a sudden feel that or because it's like a like, it's like instant empathy exactly and so i think you, that would be an interesting concept for you to, to read about number two um they've done studies and the and language is the least the, the last resort of any sort of communication we will try everything before talking to someone and this is why anxious people talk so much yes because we have that fight or flight going all the time and so we're just like uh 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 this because it does come from exactly kind of what i just did there which comes from like uh, if you look at like chimps they'll go (laughs) like they'll do that because they're scared and they're trying to it, it comes from this like anxiousness um, and, and that's why I feel like a lot of anxious people are like worried that they're off putting, including myself, because I'm just talking all the time because I'm worried that of about so many things I'm here full of fear and I'm used to it. <laughs> but I yeah, like yeah, no, I, I also am a very anxious person. Mm-hmm. Um, and a perfect combination for an actor and mm-hmm. a very socially anxious person. Uh-huh. And uh, every single conversation that is a one-on-one um, is a terrifying really? train ride of I'm constantly trying to build the railroad track in my mind of the conversation that we're having because I feel like if I'm not, if we reach like a natural conclusion to whatever subject we were talking about Mm -hmm. that there will be a silence and the silence will go on forever and then we will both die not literally like i I that would be a very irrational fear but just that Mm -hmm. it and and that in that nervousness i end up talking way more than i do listen Mm -hmm. and end up kind of steamrolling conversations just out of a nervous terror of it ending and then them being like well that was weird i'm Never going to speak to this person again. I I, I get that. Um, being like trying to, but that seems like what? Okay, either the person's gonna like the conversation or they're not, and that has nothing to do with you. Yeah, like that would be I'm my slowly, advice. I'm slowly getting to that point. Like, there's no in my mind. There's no such thing as a bad conversation unless like it ends up yelling and someone's died. Like, even if you end up like even if you end up yelling at someone, that's not the worst thing in the world. No one's like even one might argue death isn't the worst thing in the world. Like, there's it, no. I'm very I'm weirdly stoic about that kind of thing, but yeah. it's also like developed from like doing cognitive behavior therapy, and you're like, hey, this isn't in my control. I I can't, uh, why bother worrying about it if I can't do anything about it? Yeah, yeah, especially the past year, I've really tried to work Mm -hmm. on that. I've found, um, and this has been very costly, uh, I'm essentially, I I go to bars a lot um, when I have, Mm -hmm. like, nothing to do at night, and I don't necessarily drink a lot, but I like to try and find a quiet bar that just has, like, one or two people in it. 
and just start a conversation with a stranger mm-hmm. to like really try and work past this fear. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I get hung up on this weird that I'm I'm paying uh, a a levy levies or, or a yeah. tithe. I'm paying a tithe to like some unseen king of social interaction for the permission to try and make a, a genuine mm-hmm. human connection in a strange environment. Yeah. So then I end up getting very melancholy and the conversation turns weird. I'm like, well, I'm going to finish my beer and go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, where do you, why did you, did you have um like a hard time making friends growing up? I like kind of, did, well, I, I had a series of, I, I, I overly, att- uh, part of why I love Mark Maron so much is mm-hmm. I identify very heavily with his, like, I need two friends, the main friend and the backup friend for when I burn out the main friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and I don't know like what it was about my, my family dynamic that made me like just latch on very heavily to like these small groups of people that would become mm-hmm. my friends. And then I would always find myself left out mm. like, uh, in elementary school, they went to Hershey park without me mm-hmm. and I took it as a deep, slight and like never really got over it as if I was dating them and they cheated on me with a fun time at a yeah. party or at a, at an amusement park. Mm-hmm. And I, that series of events just kept happening. If I'd find a new social group and I'd, I'd kind of like latch on and I'd try to, and I, at some point you are the lowest common denominator and I'm trying to figure out what that was. But like my whole social growth as a child was really finding pe- like like-minded people um falling in friendship love with them and then finding myself constantly excluded from that so mm. i think my social anxiety slowly grew out of a feeling of i feel like nobody cares about me so i can't I, and i'm working really hard at this i i, I would like not i, I would I'm very bad about asking people about themselves mm. and like having follow-up questions about that. And, and like, that's a big part of like how you become a, a friendly, likable person that people invite is if you show interest in them and okay. Dale Carnegie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was the chapter that I got hung up on could yep. never do well and then never finish the book. Um, <laughs> and so like, I guess I developed this inherent feeling of, feeling like nobody cares about me so Mm -hmm. why should i care about them because like i would get really hung up on it sometimes and i'd think like because i try to do cognitive behavioral therapy and Mm -hmm. and mindfulness meditation and a lot of stuff to try and kind of like ease my brain into a a matthew mcconaughey and kind of relax everything's cool man we're just flowing on the river of life whatever uh Mm -hmm. not going well not working not yet okay Uh, but uh This is the fun part where uh, my brain just like goes on this very long specific mm-hmm. thing and it has an original nugget of a thought that tied mm-hmm. it all together and then, and then I drop <laughs> it and then uh, my brain hits a wall. It's all right. Yeah. Um, I would say to that, like I, I had a very similar specifically this last year for the first time in my for the first time in my life, I actually had like a group of friends and I hadn't had that before. I was homeschooled, so I was very like isolated growing up. And then throughout high school, I was just kind of like, I just didn't know how to people very well. And then throughout... Um, I didn't know how to people, people very yeah, well. No, no, I identify. Yeah, yeah. I get, that's a good way to put it. And then like uh, in when I went to to the conservatory, I was like once again in like a group of three or four people. And we were kind of isolated from the rest of our group. And so it was the first time I'd ever had a real thing. And like I was always worried that they were doing stuff without me. And then it, you just slowly like... 
I was like, well, why should I care about, this? you know, the same thing you asked, or why should I care about them if they don't care about me? It's like, oh, because you care about yourself, and if you like being around them, just be around them. But I, there's the rub. Not to be pretentious mm-hmm. by just saying that. It's I fine. fucking hate myself for just saying that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, there's the rub, is that uh, I, uh, when I hit puberty, I had a very traumatic experience that kind of stunted me socially, and then... Mm. Um, uh, I'm not sure if you know this, but middle school kids are very mean. Uh, I, I mean, I had two older sisters, so I kind of deduced. I was like, oh, yeah. any more than these two would be a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, a whole building full of these Ooh. little rat demons um, <laughs> when you're going through a very difficult time and also being the poorest kid in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that's got to be rough. Yeah, and yet again, I... I forgot why I even brought that up. Okay, but like, uh, you you were like, there's the rub of like you not oh, caring oh, about yourself. Oh, 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 I, I, because self esteem, because yeah, you, yeah. like you, you care about yourself. I don't think I've ever known what that feels like, mm. and like I've, I'm confident in like my abilities, and I know that I'm a smart person, and I mm-hmm. know that I am capable of being funny at least one out of the twenty times I try to be. Um, and if I get a laugh eventually, I uh, success. Mm-hmm. success. Um, but uh, I, I recently started in, in trying to conquer my social anxiety, mm-hmm. uh, started taking um, this nootropic vitamin supplement thing. Mm. Uh, that it's it just like brain vitamins, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a, not drugs, but not supplements either. It's like this weird in, in between. That's all the rage among people that also like to say that they're sapiosexual. And, oh, yeah. man. <laughs> oh man, you just I don't th- I don't think I can continue this conversation. You said a very naughty word to me. No, I'm <laughs> um <laughs> but it it's supposed to boost your self uh, like yeah. self-confidence and like kind of eliminate sure. that wall like like make mm-hmm. you walk into a room and like yeah, I'm fucking cool. And I've taken it and gone to parties and this is when I'm really realizing that mm-hmm. I don't think even in all of the confidence that I do have, I ever developed a sense of self-esteem mm. because instead of self-confidence and walking in and feeling like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, everybody wants to fucking talk to me. I'm it just feels like a filter has been lifted mm. and it's but it's so abstract and hard to like really pin down in my head that I'm like, is there no confidence to boost? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> the well is dry. Yeah. No, um, t- I would say, okay, um, I, I had a, a, a bit of a hard time with a very similar thing, and I would say that the thing that changed my outlook about it is, like, I care about people by virtue of them being people, because you should, that's just how being a good person works. You care about people because they're alive. You're a person. You should care about you because you're alive. Like, you don't need to necessarily like yourself, but you have yeah. to respect the hell out of yourself because you're a breathing human being. And Craig Ferguson said this really great thing, which is treat yourself like a friend that you like. Yeah. And that's really helped me. Then that's what I would pass on to you. I, it's very hard to implement. And, like, it's the other thing is, like, because you, you, you're going through this big life shift, and so it's like everything's going to take a long time. Like, yeah. that took me two years to process fully, and I'm better for it and work at it, and it's very hard, and it's unpleasant a lot of the time. And you lose friends, and you influence people. Yeah. No, um, you, but you do, and you isolate yourself and whatever. But you're better off for it, but it does take time. You yeah. know, it's everything worth doing is hard and takes at least two years. At, at the very least. Yeah. 
Um, and the other thing is, like, and this is a hard thing. Well, I mean, it's a hard thing to process, but, like, you, you, when you're, you're dealing with your brain chemistry in any sort of way, that's going to be your life until you stop living. So just learn, try to start trying to cope as best as you yeah. can. Um, but you've also talked a fair amount because you're on, like, um, uh, stimulants because you have ADHD. A specifically ADHD without hyperactivity, which okay. means that to focus my brain, I need to make my body feel like I'm having a heart attack. Very cool. Yeah. Now, I know how I kind of um, deal with this, but how do you deal in acting? Because acting is all about listening and paying attention to what the fuck's going on. How do you deal with that? Interestingly, it's... Something about being on stage, uh, every, all, like, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'd never get, the most I would get distracted is if I'm playing, like, some kind of weird theater game with one mm. of the other actors when we've been doing a show for a long time and trying to implement, like, hand gestures or get, get them to, uh, laugh inappropriately mm. at the wrong time, uh, at the detriment of the audience's experience in the show. <laughs> Um, because that, at that point I'm just like, well, fuck them. They, it's not like they paid anything for this. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. There's some, like, even when I was unmedicated, there is something about being on stage, especially after doing all of the character work. Mm -hmm. It's, it's like the only time I f truly feel present and alive mm -hmm. and my ADD never really like gets in the way of it. Mm -hmm. The only thing it really gets in the way of is, is memorizing lines. Memorizing lines oh, takes me f like five times longer when I'm un unmedicated. Yeah, I, I recently ran into that wall and I had no real problem with it growing up. And then just being an adult and I think by virtue of like having to think of like, oh, I have to edit this podcast and blah, 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 blah. Also, like I've done like three Shakespeare shows and I'm doing a fourth and like every time I'm just like people people do impressions of me because I'm like, and we would go onto, uh, 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 the, uh, the thing. And I sound like Jeff Goldblum. It's like a whole, like, uh, so, uh, yeah. Um, do, do you at least have the stutters in iambic pentameter? Yeah, I try to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I count. I, if you see me doing a weird hand thing, no. Um, but I've always found, and I feel like it might be something when you have so many plates spinning, because the thing about, uh, hyperactivity, well, not hyperactivity, AD, ADD, is like you're having like nine thoughts a second, and if like you can reduce that to six because nine of uh, sorry, um, reduce that to three because six of them are like how you're standing and what words you're about to say, you can be like more engaged. I feel yeah. like, um, it's in it's interesting that you you frame it that way, uh, because uh, there are like kind of different ways that ADA and it is technically ADHD. It's, just, yeah. it's attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder. Yeah. And there's like two slots. It's like A and B now yeah, and yeah. whatever. Uh, but like when I'm unmedicated, uh, if we were having this conversation in a mm. restaurant, I would be paying attention to literally every conversation around me. Mm -hmm. And I'd be paying attention to uh, like the weird gait that our server has and the sound mm -hmm. of the like just... It, it becomes such a sensory overload that yeah. I don't... It's not that I'm having, like, 10 million thoughts at one time. It, mm. it, I can't focus on anything because everything has my attention. Mm -hmm. And being medicated, I can kind of quiet everything and, like, focus in on, on this one thing. Mm -hmm. 
So, but that's also the interesting thing about it is that when I'm unmedicated, I, my brain turns into a foggy mist and mm. it makes free association much easier. Yeah. And I enjoy that. Oh, for sure. But being medicated focuses everything and, and kind of makes it easier to immediately cut through the fog and find mm-hmm. like that one file deep on sublevel B that is relevant to whatever mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wh- which then I end up doing the tangent thing that I've been doing this mm-hmm. whole fucking interview where I will get so focused on, oh shit, there's there's another file that's related to this thing. And oh, while I'm down here, I'm going to grab this mm-hmm. too. Uh and then I come back up, and none of them are actually pertaining to the <laughs> the initial uh, inquiry. Yeah. Um, do you remember? Um, do you do number trees um, for maths? Number trees? trees. Well, like the way you would factor. That's how I was taught. You know, um, you do one number, and then you find its factors by putting the you know common denominators in a tree. Oh no! And like, I've or never... if you see like an org chart. I didn't go to a very good high school. Okay. And I was in the stupid math class. I was in, like, the math class that was just above remedial. It's all right. But, like, do you know what an org chart is? Like, when you have, like, a slot and then there's, uh, you know, a yeah, line it, to it another breaks thing. Down, it breaks down the different ranks of an org army. I yeah, yeah. It. Yes. <laughs> but that's how I, I think my mind works is, like, oh, here's a topic. Here's 17 related things. Where do you want to go? That's not a song anybody wrote. <laughs> you just did. You just yeah. wrote that song. Yeah. You're the yeah. author. I, I I find I never talk to myself, but I will sing yeah? stupid songs to myself. That is kind of <laughs> commenting on the thing around me, and then all right. But I'm not a great singer or songwriter, so like <laughs> the the meter will be terrible. The structure will not be a good melody, uh-huh. and it will be about like peeing in a urinal and how it makes mm-hmm. your pee smell like candy because of the weird right. magic things <laughs> that you had the fortune of walking in on. Oh, that was awesome though. Uh, okay. but, um, so we were talking, we were talking briefly about, um, character work and how that focuses you. And is, do you think that's it? Like the, you have to think about so many other things or is it just like virtue of like, cause you're already like as an actor, you're already like in an anxious situation. So you're yeah. just like, well, let me be in this situation. Yeah. But that acting eliminates all of the things about a social yeah. situation that makes me anxious. Mm. The lines are given for me. Mm-hmm. I know exactly how the situation's going to go. Mm-hmm. I know exactly who I am. I know exactly who I'm talking to. And I know that uh, even if I'm rejected in the scene, I am not personally rejected. Like, mm-hmm. it, literally everything that makes me uncomfortable about life is removed <laughs> in the structure of a play. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, there's something about... Because, like... I, I studied Stanislavski and Meisner in college. Those mm-hmm. were, like, the two main things. But also, like, I, I read a book by a Japanese man uh, who works in uh, the Paris th- theater scene, and he has an interesting uh, kind of cross-section view of Western acting tradition and Japanese acting tradition. Um, and I've, I've just found, like, with the more books I read on acting, the more I... Uh, don't like take a totally di- like I feel like if you want to go to school for it and you want to like really focus on it and like that that absolutely is what you should do but like the actual acting itself is a beautiful golden room that is surrounded by a thousand doors mm-hmm. and every single door is a different technique or process or method like fucking Daniel Day Lewis taking six months to learn how to be a butcher just so that he can he feels like he does it realistically in the thirty seconds that he's doing playing a butcher and actually doing butchering, um, 
I'm not sure if doing butchering is the correct terminology, but whatever. Uh, to butch. To butch. Um, <laughs> butch, butchist, butchers, butchering, uh, um, re-butchering. But, uh, like, whatever door you use to get into that room, because mm-hmm. fundamentally acting is just presenting something that the audience believes to be truthful or potentially real for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And uh, even the dumbest person in the world uh, can pick up on when they're being lied to on an emotional level. Yeah. Um, which is why I, I never try to force anger or sadness in a scene that requires it because I'm like, if it if if I don't if I do force it, they're gonna feel it and then it's going to feel like melodramatic bullshit. Yeah. So, like, I, I kind of don't care what the audience thinks, but I also, like, because whatever, it, as long as what they experience is true, that's mm-hmm. fine. But that's what that, that golden room is. Um, mm-hmm. And I love character work because, like, when I'm trying to figure out a character, I have, like, this very intricate, weird, uh, like, the box from Hellraiser that, like, once you complete the puzzle, it opens up and the uh, Chernobytes, uh, Cenobites uh, come out and uh, Pinhead takes to to a realm of pleasure and pain. Except instead of that happening, uh, you just discover like what is in you mm-hmm. that the character shares mm-hmm. because and this is an opinion that at parties that isn't full of theater people makes me sound like a psychopath. I believe in all of us there is something that can relate to a potentially um child abusing priests like mm-hmm. in uh, doubt or a um psychotic drunk older brother looking to uh, uh abuse and mooch off of everyone he knows like in true west and yeah there we are capable of at the very least identifying with the worst mm-hmm. people in the world because there is something there that we can connect to and in that we can then build the house of of justifying because the worst kind of villain is the one that is just snidely whiplash Mm -hmm. because every villain at their heart believes what they're doing is good Mm -hmm. um, or is right Mm -hmm. and that they are not in the wrong Mm -hmm. so even if you're playing a little shit like Kylo Ren that like when you truly like find the thing and this is weirdly ironic considering i have a difficult time caring about other people because of the whole not caring about me mm-hmm. i have to find and develop that care for this character to develop the full life it's and then like yeah. you know you find the, the little lock and key and everything opens up and then you no matter what develops out of that you are that person mm-hmm. i've always kind of compared it to falling in love because you, you can fall in love with, like, That's awful... That's romantic. It is a bit. But, like, you fall in love with really... I have fallen in love with really terrible people. No. Um, you can. You have the potential for, you know, like... Terrible people have wives that love them. Or husbands that love them. Or thems that love them. And that's... Fascinating that we still do it, but you can. It's basic human empathy as well, because I think the root of I th- I've talked about this before. The root of all um, love is empathy. It's like, do you give a shit about someone? Oh, you love them in some capacity, yeah. and it's there. And it's it, I agree with the. You have to find the things that are similar to the person, and I think if you do that with also people, real people, like it makes you, it makes it easier as well because you're just going, oh, we both share this thing and even if the thing that we're sharing is circumstance, 
that's okay too. Yeah, like two strangers on a subway witnessing something insane, they mm -hmm. suddenly have a, an immediate empathetic connection. Absolutely. For just a moment. Mm -hmm. That's my favorite kind of stranger interaction. <laughs> when everybody has witnessed something truly insane, mm -hmm. they are suddenly all comrades yep. for just a brief, beautiful moment. Mm -hmm. I, when I was doing, um, I used to do like a, a lot of character work and I would do notebooks full because like I was in high school and so mm -hmm. I had nothing else going on. So yeah. I could sit down and just do it. And the thing I kept doing was just like Venn diagram after Venn diagram or like lists of like, I'm similar this way and like a bunch of weird charts. And so I think that's definitely the way to go. And it is like, even if, even if it's something about yourself that's not pleasant, you can still like go, no, I do this thing. Yeah. And it's, that's kind of the level of like every actor has to know themselves really well because. Yes, you do need to have good mental health to be an actor, yeah. to be a good, healthy actor. Mm -hmm. And it amazes me how the thing that draws <laughs> you to acting tends to be mental health problems. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like I, I know for me, like a lot of it was just like, oh, I don't have to deal with me because like I have this. Like Peter Sellers says that like, yeah. like he had like existential crises when he wasn't acting because he felt like he didn't know who he was. Mm. He could only ever be other people. Hmm. Um, he, there's a quote by him that he says something along the lines of like, don't ever ask, like, don't ever ask me to just be myself mm -hmm. in a character or in a scene because I don't know who I am. Mm. Interesting. Um, but it is like... Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, because I, I... And a lot of people who are, like, theater actors and, like, are hyperactive have this thing of, like, my personality is very big, and so I often feel like I'm too much for what's happening in front of me. Mm. And so when you're putting on a different mannerisms and you can kind of quell that, and, like, there's a lot of different ways you can go about that, either, like, through medication or self-medication or just, like hey, you, you've learned the rules of society, just obey them. Like, there's a lot of different ways you can go about it. But that was, for me, definitely a huge part of why I started. Because I was just like, I have all this energy, and I need to put it fucking somewhere. And I'm driving everyone up a wall. Can I just, okay, I have to think about how to say Shakespearean verse believably. That's taking all of my concentration, thank I, God. I honestly think 90% of yeah. uh, memorizing Shakespeare and being able to deliver it believably mm. is like obviously the iambic pentameter is there for a reason and like one of the biggest pitfalls is wanting to do the da, contemporary da, da, thing da, 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 da. of giving of either, yeah, like really ha hammering in the beat mm -hmm. or uh, shit um, or kind of taking the verse structure to let like they kind of mm. break up uh, what they're saying by the lines mm. instead of by the actual written in punctuation that he oh, has yeah. um but like when you when you just accept it as prose that has a rhythm and a bounce to it it becomes so much easier like to be or not to be that is the question it's just mm -hmm. a simple sentence, mm -hmm. but you hear it so often of to be or not to be. That mm -hmm. is the question. Yeah, yeah. It, That's actually a bad one to reference because that that he ends at like one syllable too many. That's mm -hmm. like one of the few times that he goes over the the mm -hmm. line limit is with question. Mm -hmm. 
Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, the way I always approach it is like doing exactly just, oh, here's a sentence. And that makes it a bit tricky because he like uses a lot of commas and a lot of semicolons and he goes on for a bit. A lot of sentences, yeah. So like, yeah, I quickly, well, for one sentence gets one breath generally. So, but here we go. <laughs> Which is another reason I end up going like uh, 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 because I'm trying to think of the whole idea as well, and that's kind yeah. of difficult. But I also that's also reflected in the productions I've done. A couple of them were very chaotic, like outside yeah. of the of Before like you during, even get to the rehearsal well like well no just even during the rehearsal process they were like up and down and all over and like i was just like scatterbrained but like the one that i did recently where like they we had the same director start to finish and she was very respectful of my process and all this um it was fine it was really a fun time so um i think that like it's you 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 can't help but reflecting the energy that's going on in the rehearsal room in the performance until yeah. you start just doing the shows. But yeah. Um, and even then that kind of bleeds over a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, because like you, if you're developing a character in a chaotic space and you just suddenly remove the chaotic element, mm-hmm. you are now a chaotic character in a void. Yeah. Um, yeah. Unless you're like just really on your shit and now it's like <laughs> now everything's clear and the thing that I've been trying to get to yeah. can happen. Yeah, but um, do you find yourself like ever like angry because the conversation is not going quick enough? I that's actually a problem I have in relationships. Oh, um, I me and my ex are on on very good terms. Um, I'm glad but to hear uh, that. I realize that part of one of the things of personal growth that I need to go through right mm-hmm. now is that like I, um, especially when I'm medicated and and my brain is moving at like a clearer, quicker speed. Mm-hmm. I will know what the end of the conversation or the end of the thought is going to be. And I don't want the 15 minute preamble. Mm-hmm. I just want that thought. So either I can respond or we can move on. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's also like, I, I do that with people and I, I try not to have like, once I've gotten a, a good sense of somebody, I'm like, okay, you are this character type. I'm going to put you in this box in my brain. Hmm. And 99% of the time, everything you say or react to will not surprise me in the least. And that has been for good and bad. And that I end up, that mm-hmm. helps uh, act, uh, atrophy the, the emotional limb of caring because you have now just turned them into a character that like really doesn't surprise you or interest mm-hmm. you but when you meet somebody that does you can't do that with that doesn't fit into that box or that you like can't predict where the end of their thought is going to be it is like meeting a unicorn or realizing mm-hmm. that the fey folk are real like <laughs> it, it's magic yeah I find myself doing very similar things as well. Of like, I'll I'll know what the sentence is, the ending of, and and it's just like, cool. Can, like it is like, can we can we just not bullshit right now? Yeah. Like is what it feels like to me. It's, I'm never like really really angry about it. But I'm like, guys, can we just can we? This is what we all mean. Can we just say this? I don't. Oh know. yeah. Like if like other people are like discussing something and you know that they're on the same page but mm-hmm. like the way they're talking yeah. they feel like they're at odds and you yep. are like I, I end up aggressively infiltrating <laughs> those conversations and I'm like what both this is what he is trying to say mm-hmm. this is what you are saying mm-hmm. you are both saying the same thing and 
that shit is why I hate language. Cause like, I know that the meat space thoughts that you are having are of the same beautiful abstract image mm-hmm. and the, the weird dead tool of language, even though it's, it, I don't know. It's, I, weird I hate dead that I call tool it dead. Be an excellent name for a rock band. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be a great tool cover. Exactly. Band. Yeah. Espe- <laughs> like, especially after they retire. Awesome. I know what I'm going to do. Yeah, but yeah, um, it's very frustrating. And even if they're like disagreeing, it's like, well, you're just not express. Uh, it's very difficult to be around people who don't express themselves well, and oh, yes. and like, it is this thing of like, and people have a hard time believing this, and I understand why. But I don't talk unnecessarily, or I try not to. Um, I believe you. That wasn't just like a, a long, yeah. slow silence of like, <laughs> you gonna prove that to me right now? Oh yeah, well. And what I mean by that is I don't, or maybe may have a better way of saying it. I do not talk without reason. Yes. Yeah. Like a lot of people are like, oh, you're just kind of a gibbering idiot, aren't you? I'm like, no, 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 no. Everyone's really bummed out right now. I'm trying to make people happy. Or, or, or we're trying to get to this common goal and I'm trying to facilitate that. No, I'm not just talking out of my ass because I like hearing my own voice. Though it is nice. Yeah. I've worked on it very hard. Puberty was nice to me. Oh, you didn't. You didn't have any of the cracklies. <laughs> oh, um, I I think I did for a little bit, and uh, but I lucked out because like the cool thing about men's voices is they actually mature around like age twenty four, twenty five. Yeah, and that's kind of what you're gonna sound like for the rest of your life. But that's interesting. I've found that my voice has just recently matured, mm-hmm. um, and my my sudden transition, my voice dropped to mm-hmm. like where my voice teacher wanted it to be mm-hmm. and i have not tried to do that it has not been intentional and i am not more relaxed so it's not like my throat has <laughs> opened up but i am now no longer speaking in like that placating kind of tenor that i use as a server of is everything going on like would you like yeah. anything else would you like to see a dessert menu and i'd speak like that in life and now i'm i'm finally mm-hmm. just relaxing it into the matt burninger kind of thing and i think it's also one of those things of like you get used to yourself, so you're, like, whether or not you, like, care about yourself, you're more confident on who you are, mm-hmm. and so you just kind of talk the way you're going to talk, and that's fine, and I think that helps a lot. And then also, like, yeah, voices do, like, men's voices do mature, um, that right, but every high school, <laughs> every high school boy talks like that because they want their voice to be low, and then they can't, and they all sound like Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. Like, all teenage boys sound like Dustin Hoffman, but yeah, um... I'm trying to remember back to, to whether or not that was true of my high school, and then yeah. I remembered that nobody talked to me, so I can't verify <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Sorry. That was really, like, that was really sad, but also very funny. Usually that's how it works. I, yeah. ha- I hate that, that Mark Marin has stolen what would be uh, my autobiography name of this has to be funny. Yeah. Because... <laughs> Like of all the shit that I've gone through mm-hmm. in childhood and early or early adulthood, it's just like yeah. there has to be like it needs to be funny or mm-hmm. else it's just incredibly depressing. Carrie Fisher always said, "Well, it has to be funny because if it wasn't, it would just be true, and that's not acceptable." Um, but a you, good quote. yeah, uh, she was full of a lot of good wisdom. That do you fill your head with yeah. quotes on purpose, or is it just something that like you kind of? remember pithy things that like that actors or uh, creators you respect say I think it's a combination of several things one my family just talks in quotes 
a lot. We would quote movies to each other. Like, you know that way that all white guys quote Tarantino or Big Lebowski at each other, like, all the time? I, that was all of my white dude friends mm -hmm. in uh, high school. That was basically my childhood only with, like, Disney movies and The Princess Bride. So I just, like, got a knack for that. And then also I watch interviews. Like, people are like, oh, what do you watch? I'm like, I watch interviews with artists that I respect for fun. Mm -hmm. And people are like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I just, I don't like play. I only like work. Mm -hmm. And so I will end up watching interviews with people that I like more than once or interviews where they say the same anecdote mm -hmm. more than once so it gets ingrained that way and then also I am one of those people as well that loves self-help books that is constantly looking to approve myself because like I don't think like I think I'm good I'm getting to a place where I'm okay with who I am but I can be better I th like I have that part yeah of my brain and so I'm constantly looking for someone who knows slightly better than me or that I can learn from that's interesting I always want to read self-help books mm. but I look at somebody that's written a self-help book and think is your life really so much better than me <laughs> that you think you can help me out well I mean I like, this is actually something that I apply in daily life as well. It's like you can learn something from everybody. So, like, it, even if that thing you learned is, hey, don't do that thing that person does. Yeah. Which is, hey, turns out, often the case. Like, 80% yeah. uh, like of the time, the way I learned is like, don't do that. Cause I, did, I was working on this bit of, like, it's hard being a young person and also someone who's sober because there's this voice in my head that goes, how will you learn if not from your mistakes? And the answer is by other people's. You look and yeah. go, no, that's not for me. Don't do that. Don't do and that. And it helps with writing comedy. So exactly. you, you see terrible things that you can then comment <laughs> on. Well, Except I've only I've only seen a small aspect of your stand-up. Mm -hmm. How much is it observational versus abstract? It is... Um, 90-10 abstract observational. Nice. But it is also this thing of like, um, uh, I, can't, I guess that's a kind of a high, I'm going to re-qualify that actually because the, the it is observational but it's all inward. And mm -hmm. it's like Miles and I actually have very similar styles of like joke writing. He does a bit of stand-up but his is all like societal. Have you noticed how we do this thing as a people? Yeah. It's dumb. Why are we doing this? Mine's all like, hey, my brain doesn't work well. Isn't this stupid? And it's like a mix of that, so it's self-observational and then abstract concepts, yeah. Wait, or talking about God or the Bible or or why you know, well, cat murderers are playing with language, you know, all that sort of weird stuff. Because yeah. like, and that's like you were talking about John Mulaney, who I think is very funny, but his style isn't for me. Like he's hilarious, but he's like a storyteller, and mm. like he he does that's all he does. I love Hannibal Burris too, but he is not like he's that is something I cannot physically do. I okay. can't just go and tell an amusing anecdote, and I don't know why that is, other than my dad is that way. He's like, well, we just did this, and then this happened, and then this happened. It's all very Hemingway with his family because most mm. of his family was in the war. The oh. Great War. And so you kind of don't tell in-depth stories because you don't want to trigger PTSD. Yeah. And so you have to manage that. But yeah. That is interesting. Mm -hmm. that, like, so that's kind of the way I am when I read plays where I can't read plays where I know I can't be any of the characters. Oh, for sure. I don't, I just cannot get into it. Yeah. Um, so I think it's interesting that comedy-wise, like, the, st the storytellers and, like, the thing that you you kind of don't lean towards mm -hmm. you acknowledge is good but like you can't really enjoy it yeah i feel like I'm, I'm somewhere in between just because like i 
I a lot of the stuff that I've been writing lately is somewhat societally observational, but like my place in it mm. of like the I I went to a bar uh I went to the the bar in my apartment building and I went there primarily hoping for good conversation and then like every single white male in the city is like maybe there will be a pretty girl there mm-hmm. and she'll actually want to talk to me. Um and I had a couple of drinks and I'm sitting next to this skater that is a graffiti artist that is a festival child and like he really strikes up a conversation with me and also steamrolls over what i'm saying but has nothing interesting to contribute oh man and i continued like i buy a couple of drinks and with each one i'm like maybe with this one he'll leave and the girl behind him i can now talk to or i can now talk to the bartender i can now like engage in some kind of human interaction (laughs) that isn't just listening to this weird uh mm-hmm. millennia uh native millennial go on and on about graffiti art mm-hmm. and then by the third drink i was like i'm literally paying a tax mm-hmm. for the hope of good conversation yeah so like the i i again lost the thread but the mm-hmm. whole point of that is is like i'm framing a lot of stuff in my life of like trying to be a normal functioning human being Mm -hmm. which i don't believe i ever have been even (laughs) though like i pay bills and i get my Mm -hmm. rent in on time and i I live independent of my family i'm technically a functioning adult but i do not feel like one because every Mm. time i throw myself into a a social scene or a societal scene that is that has like just kind of set understandings of how a normal person works Mm -hmm. it all just falls apart like i i I had a a, i was a fucking neurotic wreck uh after the breakup not because of the breakup but uh because ladies i am recently single uh but uh because um like my first thought was well i guess i should probably like just I you know a normal single male should probably have a condom like just in case like you hit it off somebody mm-hmm. you go on a date it's good to be prepared yeah protect for protection's sake and I just buy a pack of condoms and in the doing I'm like this is Im- so presumptuous of an imaginary woman in an imaginary situation that I have I am nowhere near engaging in. <laughs> mm-hmm. I shouldn't buy these. That's rude for the imaginary woman in the... Ima- <laughs> <laughs> it also didn't help that I was buying Pedialyte at the same time, so uh-huh. I just looked like a f- <laughs> either, either a very <laughs> a very concerned father um, who is also doesn't very want careful. Another, yeah, doesn't want another kid. Yeah. Or a total freak. Yeah. As well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to fill them the Pedialyte the condoms with the Pedialyte and throw them at people. Yeah. Be hydrated. <laughs> Hopefully by osmosis. Yeah. And the, the, uh, that, that's just gross going into the spermicidal yeah. lube. That's like in all condoms now he, and the Pedialyte now all over you. Gross. Yeah. Now what I lubricated and <laughs> hydrated, hydro lubricated, um, which just means water. You use yeah. water to lubricate, which is the best way. But, yeah. um, just a hose. You yeah, know, that's just, all you need. Yeah. Just hose each other just down mm-hmm. and go to town. Mm-hmm. Let's the reverse dog. <laughs> what? You know, you've not heard of like, well, like two dogs will be fucking on a lawn, and then you go and you grab. Oh, the hose. oh, and you spray it. Oh, yeah, to yeah, stop yeah. them. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, stop these two innocent creatures from experiencing something you're con- currently not engaging in <laughs> with the same method of breaking up civil protests. <laughs> oh, oh, that was funny. Um, just, no, that's the note. That's the note we're ending on. All I right. had something to say, but fuck it. All no, right. that awesome. Um, well, thank you for doing this, man. No, it was a pleasure. Good. I'm sorry. I love rambly, uh, in a rambly fashion, talking about myself for way too long. Yeah. It's my favorite hobby. Yeah. I mean, that's why you should start doing stand-up. Yeah, so I can start <laughs> doing it to people that can't talk back instead of people that should be allowed to contribute. <laughs> Enjoy the ride.